Hey, Travis Rogers here. When you're not listening to me on the Lakers pre- and post-game shows, tune in to The Experience with Laferne Cusack, where she goes beyond the play and focuses on athletes, fans, and the biggest events that inspire and shape our community. Listen to The Experience with Laferne Cusack, Sundays, 5 to 6 a.m. ESPN LA 710. Hey, thank you so much for joining me. We have a special celebration of jazz here on The Experience today. I had the great opportunity to go to the Hollywood Bowl for the Playboy Jazz Festival last week and had the great opportunity to speak with the legendary Terrence Blanchard, Patrice Russian, Terrace Martin, Laura Connolly, Vice President of Presentations for the L.A. Philharmonic. And boy, did I have such a great time. Now, in these interviews, we're backstage at the L.A. Phil, and there's music in the background. There's a lot going on, but I got the interview. So the audio isn't of best quality, but uh, what all my guests expressed was truly from the heart. And I I'm so glad that you guys have an opportunity to take part in their excellence. I also want to thank Sheila Gilmore, Debbie Hatterley and Elise Kingsley for making all of this happen. Terrence Blanchard has been a consistent artistic force for making powerful musical statements concerning painful American tragedies, past and present. Now, in this interview with Mr. Terrence Blanchard, he talks about being focused on his talent, how moments propelled him into something different, creating music, the difference between an editor and a director relationship and storytelling. And then he also gets into his opera that he's doing. It's a world premiere called Fire Shut Up in My Bones, based on a memoir by Charles Blow. I asked him about growing up in a household where his father played music, along with his uncle and his mother. Listen in. ESPN LA 710. So by the time I was five, I was banging on the piano trying to sing Batman. (laughs) (laughs) And was hitting all the wrong keys, obviously. And uh, my family said, well, look, if the boy going to do that, let's just get him some lessons. So I started taking lessons from the time that I was five. And from then on, my parents have all, and my family have always been very encouraging and supportive about me being in this uh, world of creativity. Do you feel that as the only child, correct? Mm-hmm. Do you feel that being the only child provided your parents with an aspect of uh, being able to focus on you and your talents and to see that? Probably, yeah. I mean, you know, definitely. I mean, my, my father... Man, you know, when we did, i never forget when we did uh, the Mo Better Blues, the movie, I was there the day they were shooting the scene with Abby Lincoln and the young kid, and she was, like, chastising him about practicing, right? And I had to step away. I'm like, I started to have flashbacks, you know, yes. to, like, me and my father, because my father was that type of person. He would sit on the couch while I practiced. But the thing about it is it all came together because I saw the way that he dedicated himself to his work and his art. And I saw that across the board in my family. So the next thing I knew, I became a workaholic just like them. It had a profound effect on me, you know, because then it it uh, manifested, manifested itself in something that was concrete for me, creating music, you know. So I spent all of my waking time 
uh, most of it anyway, um, learning and trying to execute and become better at that. Now, so as an artist, does the music just flow to you? Did, mm-hmm. Is that how it started and then it gravitated into something else? Well, no, the, I think music, I think creativity always flows through us. The, the issue is, is how does it come out, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? So that's the reason why you have to study and learn your craft and refine your skills, you know, because you want it to you, you want it to express itself in the most elegant and profound way possible. You know, so that's the thing that I always tell my students. So I've always had had musical ideas come to me. I've always had moments where the emotion of something would, would propel me in a direction create, creatively. The thing that's changed is 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 the level of uh, of depth in the statement because of my experience of, of being out here for so long and trying to refine my craft. So when you transferred your skills into all these great movies with Spike Lee, and how was that different from when you were creating when you were younger, or, or was it? Oh man, no, no, it was, it was, because when you're younger, you're just thinking about X's and O's, you know, you think about numbers, you know, this is what so-and-so did, and this is, so I'm going to do this, and you know, no, when you start to realize that a certain color has a meaning emotionally, you know what I mean? A major chord or a minor chord or whatever it is, whatever type of harmony you want to deal with, whatever type of rhythm you want to deal with, whatever type of sound color in terms of instrument choices you want to deal with, all of those things carry a certain type of emotion that can be elicited from a listener. So the, 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 the trick is, is to try to figure out how do you want to manipulate that story through sound, color, and rhythm. And how do you do that? It depends on, you know, first of all, it depends on whose story I'm telling. That's number one. Uh, but then it depends on, you know, how you want to, you, you have to make choices. That's what we always talk about. You have to make choices about, okay, I'm going to tell a story this way. It can be told a lot of different ways, but I'm going to commit to this. My opera, I'm working on an opera now. Um, well, I'm not working on it. It's finished and it's about to be uh, premiered on the 15th. Fire shut up in my bones. Yes, based on Charles Blow's book, uh, his memoir. Um, so I had to make choices about how to tell that story. And one of the things that I wanted to do was to show the little boy in Charles and show Charles as a grown man. So a lot of times on the stage during this production, both of those characters will be there. There'll be moments of reflection when little Charles is doing things and older Charles will give his impressions about what he was thinking about at the time. So that's a choice that we made in terms of how to tell a story. Then that is reflected in the music. So I know like a director can direct an actor to portray a character a certain way mm-hmm. and then an editor comes in and is able to manipulate <laughs> yeah. that yeah and, I'm sorry, <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, I didn't mean that I'm sorry <laughs> but, so does yeah. that affect the way that you are able to create or tell that story of the boy it has an, it has an, it has an effect in film it definitely has an effect because sometimes you can change the whole emotion of a scene by doing edits right. you know what I mean yeah so yeah, it, it depends on on uh, the 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 way you want to change, the way you want to tell the story. Like I was saying earlier, I, but that rarely happens on some of the films that I've been working on. You know, a lot uh, because here's the thing about the filmmaking business that most people must realize: there's so much money on the line. Oh, you know, right. you have to have all your ducks in a row right. when you start production because you can't afford to skip a beat because then that's a lot of money just blown and going out the window. So a lot of a lot of the people that I work with are extreme professionals. 
you know, so they'll have an idea about how they want to tell a story before they start the day of production, and then they make sure they stay on schedule and keep those budgets tight. Yes. Yeah. Now, I, I know that you also did Champion. It's a boxing opera. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, how did you go about creating that as well and bringing the sport out? Right. Well, you know, one of my best friends, my be- well, actually my best friend, his name is Michael Bent. He used to be heavyweight champion. He beat Tommy Morrison for the title. And he had told me about um, Emil Griffith years ago. And when he told me the story, I thought it was the most compelling thing because one of the things that I thought about with Emil Griffith's story of being a fighter who would never admit that he was gay and was outed, you know, in the press conference during the, during the bout, one of the things that I thought about was when I won my first Grammy, without thinking, I just turned and gave my wife a kiss. It's not. It's just a reaction. Yeah. It's just something you do. You know what I mean? It's because you're trying to share the moment with somebody you love and care about in your family. And then I thought about him not being able to have the same experience, becoming welterweight champion of the world. You know, that was, that, was, that was ridiculous. And he said something in his autobiography, man, that blew me away, you know. Um, and this is, this is what made me want to write the opera. Um, he said, I killed the man and the world forgave me. He said, but I loved the man and the world wanted to kill me. That's a very powerful statement. And the sad part about it is still relevant for a lot of people these days. And that's the unfortunate part. You know, but in doing the opera, one of the things that we learned um, is that, well, we all we all know this, but to see it actually happen, to see a piece of art have a profound effect on people's mindsets. Yes. You know, um, so that's one of the things that I'm proud about with that project because it's had it's gone on its sixth production. It's going to be in Detroit next year, so we're happy about that. Yes. Yeah. That's great. Thank you. And uh, another thing before I let you go, because I know you're going to get on stage. And <laughs> yeah. out, um, you always make a, it seems like you make social statements within your music. Uh-huh. I was talking to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and how he loves jazz and how he made a social statement through like basketball. Right. Uh, and he saw basketball as jazz. Mm-hmm. How... How do you go about making that specific social statement that can change what we all feel? Well, you, you, it, it's, it's, you have to just be conscious. You know, when I first put the E-Collector together, this is the band that I have now, the electric band, I wanted to inspire some young kids who may not want to play jazz, but I wanted to inspire them to play instruments, you know, but and play them on a high level, get some great musicians and put them in this forum and let them experience this, right? Mm-hmm. Well, when we first put the band together, real life was happening. Mike Brown was shot, you know, all of those shootings were happening. And then we started to realize, well, we just can't go out here and, and not have any reaction to what's going on. Right. Because back then it felt like it was happening like every two months, you know. That some unarmed uh, uh, male of color was being gunned down. So we just decided to, you know, make the first album, you know, something that was a statement about that. I can't breathe, you know, Eric Gardner. So we called the album Breathless, and everything was kind of geared towards that. And then we got such a reaction for it from it. When it came time to do the second one, I started to realize that in the news media. In no disrespect, but everybody's cutting, covering tweets every day, and there's still these issues that are still running rampant in our country. So we actually went to three cities where we've had like major tragedies. We went to Cleveland, 
We went to uh, um, Ferguson. Uh, yes, Minneapolis. Um, and I uh, can't think of the third city now. Anyway, we went to three cities um, and we recorded live and had a civic engagement in all three cities. You know, um, oh, we went to Texas. That's right. We went to Dallas. Did you um, meet Chief uh, Brown there? David no, Brown? Oh. I tried. I invited him to come out and be a part. Yeah. We had a panel discussion, but he did, he declined. But I met uh, uh, Captain Johnson, you know, from uh, St. Louis, and we had a very great conversation. Um, it was an amazing experience because when we were recording that music in Cleveland, um, an, uh, a guy came up to me after the show and he said, hey, man, you know, I thought I was going to hear your Tale of God's music, which is like very pretty music from an album that I did about Hurricane Katrina. Uh, he said, but when you started playing, everything sounded angry. And then he said, but then you told us what the music was about. And he said, my next thought was, well, if the guy who created the tale of God's will is this angry about this issue, I need to rethink my position on gun control. Oh, wow. And to me, that was huge. Right. Yeah. So that's one of the things about doing this. It's, we love playing music and we love, you know, getting a chance to perform. But there has to be a purpose behind it for me. Yes. At least. I just don't want to be out there. You know, because I understand what music has done for me in my life, and you you want to be able to help people. And you know, if we could change some hearts and minds along the way, so be it. Well, you definitely are doing that. I know when I was growing up, I really didn't have the words to express exactly how I right. felt, See? and yep. through music, exactly, I was able to do that. Exactly, and through your music, oh, thank you. It feels like heaven. Thank you, thank you for saying that. Thank so. you for saying that. I really, I really appreciate you saying that. But it's one of the reasons why I'm involved in education too, because I know there's so many kids out here, man, that are not verbal. I was one of them. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I was more emotional than verbal. <laughs> exactly. Right? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And I know sometimes through the arts, through music, through dance, through writing, it gives them a chance to create and create a world that safe for them yes. to exist. So that's. Well, I love what I do, and hopefully we can continue along and help some other people along the way. Oh, fantastic. Thank you. Such an honor to speak with you. Thank you. you. Thank you for saying that. My honor being here. Really appreciate it. I really wish you success with Fire Shut Up In My Bones. Thank you. As well. Thank you. I forgot to tell you about Harriet Tubman, too. Can you tell us? Yeah, yeah, sure. Tell us about Harriet Tubman. Yeah, I just finished working on this film. It's really great, man. It's, it's directed by Casey Lemons, directed and written by Casey Lemons, produced by Deborah Martin Chase uh, for Focus Features, stars Cynthia Revo, and it's the story of Harriet Tubman, and it's awesome. Um, it's it's an amazing movie. It's a it's a must see. It'll be released uh, November first. Uh, Cynthia, she's an amazing artist. And I, I, that's all I want to say. I don't because I don't want to give it away. But yeah. you, you make sure you go check that one. That's one to check out for sure. Oh, I definitely will. Okay. And uh, also put one on your list of the Twelfth Cavalry, the Buffalo Soldiers. Oh yeah. Yeah. My yeah. grandfather was uh, in the Twelfth oh, really? Cavalry. No kidding. Okay, I'm gonna tell you a funny story. Not funny. I'm gonna tell you a wild story. So I used to always have these jazz fest parties at my house, and there was a famous actor who had come to my home. And my house at the time I was living was three levels. And he, I was upstairs because I was working on Miracle at St. Anna, the movie about the Buffalo Soldiers, right? And some friends of mine, I never, their last names were Italian, but they grew up in New Orleans, and I never thought about it. 
So this actor, he came up and he walked right up to me and he goes, hey, man. So I'm, and, it, and it was like one of those ESPN commercials you guys do <laughs> with the people trailing them behind them. Yes, That's yes. exactly what happened. Oh, it was wow. Like about 20 people came up and he walked right up to me. So I, yeah. I saw what was happening. So I started playing him some of the, uh, the film from the Buffalo Soldiers. Well, my two friends that I've been knowing for a long time, they got emotional. One of them, he's a great fighter. He's a boxer and he trained me too. He said... He said, he said, we got emotional. He said, because our dad was a professional fighter, and he learned how to fight in Italy from the Buffalo Soldiers. Wow. That's how he learned boxing, because they set up with Joe Lewis yeah. and all those guys. They set up a ring in Italy, and he happened to go by, and they allowed him to come in. They trained him and taught him how to fight. Wow. Small world. Small world. Yes. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank All right. ESPN LA 710. Next, I had the opportunity to speak with the talented Terrace Martin. Among the most versatile musicians and producers of his generation, Terrace has worked extensively with the likes of Snoop Dogg, Layla Hathaway, and Herbie Hancock. In this interview, we cover so much, including how young people are getting into music today, how he got into music, how he may walk down the street and hear music in his head of everything that's going on around him. And what advice Wiz Khalifa gave to him about coming up in this industry. I really had a good time with Terrace. And once again, we're backstage at the L.A. Phil. So in the background, you'll hear a lot of music and a lot of things going on. I hope you will enjoy this. ESPN LA 710. Can you talk about how you got into this industry? You went to CSUN, correct? Or, no, uh, or Cal, Cal Arts. I went to Cal, Cal Arts. Cal yeah. Arts. Yeah. How did you come about it to leave that and follow what you're doing now? Um, well, for me, I always knew what I, I, I knew what I wanted to do when I was like 14. So, you know, I just either wasn't old enough or I wasn't experienced enough in certain certain areas. So I always knew as soon as I got to a point where I could work professionally, um, I would I would devote my whole life 100, 150% to that. So so I, I went to college and everything. I didn't finish, but I only went. I only went because I, I didn't have it together yet. But I, I I had never really planned to even finish school. You know, I, they gave me a full ride, and I went to stay in an apartment and produce records all day because I was trying to get to Snoop Dogg's house. <laughs> so and you did. I did, but I, I needed that dorm. Mm-hmm. To stay in that dorm, you know what I'm saying? Because I couldn't stay at my mom's house and not go to school. Because right. then I had to get a day job, right. but I couldn't do music with a day job. Mm-hmm. So I said, okay, I'm going to just go to college. And, you know, my, which our school is beautiful, you know, but my plan was a little different, you know, you know, because I had kids, I had a son at 15 years old. So I was already like having to do certain things. So I was like, I, I need to get in the ball game quick. It's getting tough out here. And I got with Snoop and, and that's that's what so happened. Do you think it was out of desperation or no? It, it mean, d- definitely out of survival, you know, because I, I I do art because I love it and that's what I do. You know what I'm saying? Um, I'm from South Central LA, so the options wasn't. I didn't have that many. I didn't have that many options unless you want to work at the post office or you know, which is all beautiful and thing like that. But for me, I just saw different things for my life. So, you know, I've I've, I've always been a musician, but, but I've always been a hustler. You know, my heroes was all the hustlers from my neighborhood in the Crenshaw district. So, you know, I was always on. I was always trying to get so it cracking. Talk about your process then. At you, you talk about at the age of fourteen, you knew what to do. So, how did the music come to you? How did your work come out into our society? Uh, the work came out 
fortunately, I grew up in the Crenshaw district where it's already a lot of music going on over there. And, you know, I, I grew up in the neighborhood with a lot of other producers, like a guy named Battlecat that produced a lot of records for Snoop and Dr. Dre. And then I grew up I grew up under corrupt. So I grew up under these guys that were kind of moving in a whole big direction. I was real young, so I always just followed the pattern. You know, if you work hard, do beats, try to get the Snoop, try to get the corrupt, try to get the battle cap, try to get to somebody that's on another level of success or learn from them or try to, you know, just get next to them and try to figure out that other door that you see on TV, the other door when you see Dr. Dre and Snoop, nothing but a G thing or Rap City or MTV. It got to be a door because they look like me. They talk like me, so it got to be a door close by. You know what I'm saying? So right. I, I just wanted to get to that door. Whatever door it was going to be, I just wanted to get to it. Do you find that younger kids or adults today have that same mentality of there is a door open or more of get me that job now, you know, who do I know that can give yeah. it to me? Yeah. I think in my experience with children, A, I have them. <laughs> and, you know, my I think... uh the children that really understand struggle, I don't, I don't really, I don't really see the uh, uh, that you know I'm owed this, you know, because um, they know what it takes to get to a certain thing, you know. The children that that I feel that don't really understand struggle have 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 that more in common for what I what I understand. The particular children, a lot from my area, we we don't really grow up in that. Even this generation. Um, I know a lot of hard worker children that's 18, 19 years old that's shooting their videos, doing songs, smarter than a lot of us workers. Now, a lot of kids use the Internet for positive things. The Internet's not always negative at all, you know. And, you know, I mean, this, you know, I, you know, you hear a lot of musicians talk about the Internet and what it's doing bad. But for me, I'm one of the first generations where the Internet actually help pay out my mother's house the internet is why you know me because the internet so i have a whole different outlook and i'm I'm connected with a lot of younger cats that have similar outlooks as like i had because they they are from the ghetto they are from these places that they're not worried about how good they play they're trying to play music as a survival skill to make to make their day go by you know it's, it's a lot of crazy shit going on in the ghetto where i come from so my music and everything i do is more catered to the to the person or the child that needs help and that's growing in a whole different direction well, how do you express that in your music? How do you express that struggle and change in order to uplift those that are coming up behind you? Because I, 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 keep, I keep 90% of my body with the youth. You feel me? So that's why I produce records like on Travis Scott, YG, Kendrick Lamar, and all the other people. Because they have the power to get the message much more further than a lot of people. Because it's, it's modern music. People love that music. People love them frequencies. And they tell a story that every kid could relate to you know every kid could relate to some form of struggle some form you know i mean even the white kid with two parents and everything they got their own shit to they got some other things going on but it's still struggle nonetheless so kendrick and cats like yg and other artists like that they get the message across that's so blunt it's not like instrumental music to where you gotta figure you gotta i guess i guess that's i guess the title meant that i guess that's what the song meant the title i guess it don't make me feel like that but i guess and that that's cool, but it don't it don't connect with everybody. Sometimes you got to tell somebody, either a I love you, or I hate you, straight up. I want to get to the point. You know what I'm saying? And I think when I work with artists that do the straight up message, that's how I stay connected and get the message across. And I take I learn from them, and I take that. And when I go play with Herbie Hancock, I put that in his music too. Wherever I go, I try to get it across to where I'm trying to connect with the people. 
You know, I love musicians and everything, but I, I could care less if any musician comes to my show. I want to connect with the single parent. I want to connect with the people that's bat- battling PSAT. I want to connect with the people that's thinking about suicide. Like, that's that's what my shit is for. I don't know anybody. That's So my whole mission is a whole different thing. Yeah, it is. Like, it I'm is. not the playboy, but I'm hopefully I t- we touch somebody that need it. Then I'm going to talk to you, and I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> you feel me? Because yeah. my thing is even, my music is about life, so... I fellowship with people that's going through things. That's how I feed. That's how my energy is fed. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. So that that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah, I was just ter- telling uh, Terrence Blanchard I heard a song by Maceo Parker, and he was playing, and I was like, "Wow, that's God to me." Yeah, Maceo. Yeah, he 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 is a god, definitely. I just never. And Terrence Blanchard's a guy yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sure. But the feeling of being able to express yourself in music, um, a, a lot of young people can't express themselves self in words. Yeah. And the music comes around and is able to do so for them. That's and that's the thing about it, you know. I, for you know, you know, and I get slacked by so many people for work doing the records I do. But you know, the one thing I, I, I'll say about expression is it's like nobody could tell you how or how not to express yourself like nobody could tell you how you feel you know what i'm saying so expression comes in so many different kind of ways my thing is as long as you doing it i'm rolling in your own little way ain't no criteria for expression Um, and I see you're wearing a, a Dodgers hat uh what do you think about the expression of uh, magic I don't even know much about sports. I wear the L.A. Dodger hat because I'm from South Central Los Angeles, <laughs> and I love the color blue. I love red too. I love all the colors, but my, you know, this 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 represents my section, Los Angeles. You know, um, God bless the Dodgers. Thank you for this hat. But uh, it's kind of like I want the message to get out too that I am from L.A. You know, and it's is and L.A. produces a different type of artist. You know, L.A. produces a strong artist, a confident artist. A chest out artist, a humble artist, and each one teach one artist. That's what South Central Los Angeles produces. I don't know about anywhere else. So I always make that a point to let it be known that I am from Los Angeles because we, we have some of the most world is golden treasures from South Central LA, Compton, Watts, Inglewood, Hawthorne, Gardena, everywhere below the 10 freeway. You know what I'm saying? Right, right. Terrace, we just sat and listened to your set, and it was so wonderful and, and full of light. Uh, talk about the fusion that you have with the electronic music and jazz and how you com- compose all of that. Damn, you know, like I call my record label and my entertainment company Sounds of Crenshaw for a reason. Because on Crenshaw Boulevard, there's so many different energies. When I was growing up, you could hear the jazz cast in Lamert. You know, every now and then, you know, you could catch a dude in a nice car. He got a beautiful young lady with him. He playing Jodeci. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, then you yeah. got Uncle Uncle over there by Phyllis Barbecue. He playing B.B. King. Uh-huh. Then you walk up the street, you got about four or five churches. They playing John P. Key, Kirk Franklin. So for me, I don't think of it as fusion anything. I think of it as all just the music that if I like it, we doing it. You feel me? As long as it touches people, make it feel good. It, it, it all comes from the ghetto, so it's all one. So it's when, all one kind of music. When you're walking through the streets, is your whole soundtrack in your head as you're walking down? Like depends what I see. Yeah. You know, it shit gets strange sometimes, but it's in my head. Yeah. You know, for different things. You know, when like it, I've always like if I see something go dark, meaning some dark shit happen. Like I've seen, I've young, I've seen murders and everything. 
always hear the most major prettiest music. When I see something light, I always hear the most darkest structured music, you know. Why do you think that is? Uh, I love contrast and some things that you may think are light aren't always light and vice versa. So that's that's how I live my life. But it's without the contrast, you wouldn't see the beauty of it all. Yeah, because you can find beauty within every problem. Yes, absolutely. Well, you know? yeah, absolutely. And before you go, talk about how you know you you come on stage and your vocals just so are just like what we're saying. Heaven is just like so encompassing. Wow, thank, you. thank you. So warm and. How would you go about telling someone coming up how to get into this industry and be like you? Now, well, first of all, it's a hell of a lot easier now because we got Instagram and all these social medias. Like a, a good friend of mine by the name of Wiz Khalifa told me in the middle of me getting evicted and ducking the sheriffs, not being able to pay my rent years ago. He said, man, why are you about to lose your place? I said, I ain't make no money. And I'm shit. I'm, you know, it's it's messed up. It's crazy out here, Jack. <laughs> he said, if you have a laptop, you have no excuse. Oh. This is when Twitter first. He said, if you got a laptop, you ain't got no excuse. You got a, the ability and a way to get it out. You got no excuse. And that was then. That was like over 12, 13 years ago. So now when I see cats, you can put a song on, test it on Instagram. If it's moving, it's moving. People always say, how do I get in touch with you? I say, I don't know, but I'm not going to give you my number. But I'll tell you what. If you cracking, I'm gonna hear about you. Right. I'm gonna hear about you if you cracking. I'm I'm online. I got a whole team of cats that's I'm gonna hear about you. And if you from LA mm-hmm. and you really cracking, I'm for sure gonna hear about you. <laughs> if you from the hood, I'm I know everything. I'm tapped into everything yeah. moving. Where whether it's R and B, whether it's hip hop, whether it's gangster shit, whatever's moving musically, I stay tapped into because that's really that's the you can't say you part of the culture moving with one side. I can't say I'm part of culture just sitting you talking about jazz all day. You're right. I can't do that. And I can't be judgmental like a lot of the older cats neither. I got to be wide open for everything. You know what I'm saying? So I would tell an artist, be wide open. Don't live in the box. Don't have nothing over your eyes. Be very respectful. Be loving. And don't worry about what the game could do for you. Worry about what you could do for this game. Absolutely. That's what an old hustler told me. Oh, well, that's beautiful. Thank you so much, Mr. Terrace Martin. Thank you so much. Wonderful. ESPN LA 710. I'm so thankful that Laura Connolly, she's the vice president of presentations for the LA Philharmonic. She sat down with me to talk about all things LA Phil, about putting together the Playboy Jazz Festival, and what all goes into their programming for the year ahead. Here's what she had to say. ESPN LA. Laura, thank you so much for joining me. It's such a pleasure to have you on. This is an amazing event. Thank you. So tell us what you do for the LA Phil. Uh, I'm the vice president of presentation, so I oversee all the non-classical bookings at the Hollywood Bowl and Walt Disney Concert Hall. And that's a huge job. It is. It's a (laughs) full-time job and then some. Yeah. So Laura, tell, tell us how or what goes into producing such a major event like this. Well, Playboy is, you know, one of the highlights of our summer season. This is number 41. So uh, it's been a phenomenal run here at the Hollywood Bowl. It's um, 10 bands each day. So there's a lot of stuff that's involved in booking everybody and making sure everybody can come on the right day. And then 
you know, once we're up and running on show day, we have all our stagehands here and we have Festival West helping us produce and we have all our runners and all our, you know, uh, artist movers and, you know, there's a whole massive team that helps us put this together. Yeah, there are so many moving parts to this show and others that you do for the LA Phil. Uh, talk about some of the things that are happening within our community that our families can take part in as well oh absolutely so this summer there's plenty of great shows coming up we have july 4th with nile rogers and chic (gasps) good times yeah (laughs) Uh, so that's three nights with fireworks Uh, we've got hugh jackman coming up we've got jurassic park live with the philharmonic orchestra we've got gustavo dudamel we've got the black movie soundtrack happening in september there's you know Every, something for everybody, really. So it's so diverse, and what you guys put forth is so rich for um, not only families, but for everyone here in Los Angeles. What goes into creating the season for the L.A. Phil? Yeah, we're very conscious of making sure that we cater to everybody. So when we put the jigsaw puzzle of dates together, you know, we do think about, okay, let's see if we can find a Latin artist that will appeal to our Latin community. Let's book, you know, jazz. Mm -hmm. Let's book classical music. Let's book rock, you know, that plays on KCRW, let's book a reggae night. You know, we really are trying to make it as broad as we possibly can. I know the Grateful Dead was up here. That's right. <laughs> Something <laughs> for everybody. For a sure. Friend, right. A friend at the studio was going, I was like, what are you doing wearing that shirt and your shoot the sock he had his socks, he has a, had his crocs and everything. Oh yeah. I'm, I'm headed to the LA Phil. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we really do open the doors to everybody. But that's part of our that's why we're here. It's really important to us to, to to make sure that we reach as many people as possible. And um, tell us if anyone would like to volunteer or participate, how can they do that? So usually um, our operations team uh, are opening the job applications in February and March. So um, the one thing that's very unique about the Hollywood Bowl is that we still have young people as ushers. So it's a really great summer job for, um, you know, high schooler. Uh, They get to learn how to interact with the general public and, um, you know, hold down a job for the summer. So it's a really, really great. It's a great way to learn. It's a great environment to be in. And there's a lot of wonderful people that work here. And and those skills don't come naturally for some people. And it's very important when you get into the workforce. Oh, absolutely. And I think it's a really good learning environment, but in a kind of a a caring and enclosed environment. Because, you know, even though there's 600 staff that work here in the summer, you know, it's very much a family we're here every single night and so you know we really take care of each other and everybody that works here and laurie you do so much for the la phil and put on so many great events is there one that stands out for you the most one performance that just blew you away i know that you're working a lot i don't know if you have the opportunity every now and again um 
when because I don't book the classical nights, that's my night off. So I do remember a few years ago when Gustavo Dudamel, before oh. he was our music director, yeah. came to conduct. I was sitting up in the way back on the, you know in the benches. Nobody else was around. I was lying down, and he came out and started. And I kind of sat up, and it was that X factor. I'm like, I don't oh, know this guy, goodness. but suddenly the orchestra's really galvanized and it, everybody kind of pricked up their ears yes. so things like that are really amazing I saw him at uh, the Walt Disney Center downtown and when he was conducting it was like it was two people one side was going really fast and then the left side was going really slow mm-hmm. and it looked like it was two different people like right. For me, I'm like, oh my God, how does your brain do that? And yeah. he's amazing to watch. You know, he's a dancer. He's a, you know, the way he moves, the way he expresses the music. It's really, he's amazing. Well, you're amazing as well. And I thank you so much for the opportunity to thank come you. here. And for all this wonderful, this wonderful Very event. Welcome. So thank you. Of course. Yeah. Thank all you. Right. I'm Fern Cusack. This is ESPN LA 710. ESPN LA 710. What can I tell you about? My next guest, admired by many for her groundbreaking achievements, Patrice Russian has an impressive list of firsts. She was the first woman to serve as head composer, musical director for television's highest honor, the Emmy Awards, and the first woman to serve as musical director for the NAACP Image Awards broadcast. In 1998, Russian was honored by the music industry when her adult contemporary CD, Signature, received a Grammy nomination as well as an NAACP Image Award nomination and landed in the top 10 of the adult contemporary jazz charts. Russian is also an accomplished composer, providing musical scores for Emmy-nominated television movies and series and several feature films, including Men in Black and Waiting to Exhale. I had a chance to talk with Miss Patrice Russian on how she engages with young people. What is her feeling between music and feeling the need in the moment or the process to to take shape, to resonate? And she talks about her mentor, Quincy Jones. And of all of her work, what stands out the most for her as far as all of her accomplishments? And once again, we're backstage at the L.A. Phil. So in the background, you'll hear a lot of music and a lot of things going on. But we had a good time and we hope you do, too. Listen in. ESPN L.A. 710. I loved your tribute to Indugu. Mm-hmm. It's wonderful. Thank you. Yeah. He's, um, I met him through Arnold McCuller. Oh, yes. Yeah. Well, sure. Sure. <laughs> and he was always so kind and wonderful. And, um, yeah, he, he left behind a wonderful legacy yes, and, so and work of art. So. Yes. so my show focuses on the inspiration, the inspiration behind your work and how you use your work to inspire, engage, and have people take action mm-hmm. and that's one thing I love about you is that through mentorship through your work through what you have done you have inspired so many people can you give us some background of how you do that and how you engage with young people today 
Well, the thing about um, it all starts with me having to have figured out all of the great things that I've had in my career in terms of working with some of the masters, um, being around, having a peer group that was superiorly gifted. I mean, Indugu being one of them having their support and being protected by them in 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 a, in a certain way because I was very serious about the music and it didn't allow for there to we were all really young maybe too young for there to be formulated biases about music having wow. gender wow really unusual situation for high school students at that time but what we had in common was a love of the music and um so many of us uh, who went to school together at that time supported each other and still are many of them are still professionals and it just became very important to me to one day to just sit down and realize how blessed I was in terms of all the kinds of things I've worked in film I've worked in television I've been on the road playing with the, the some of the greatest musicians of all time I've written you know songs I've been Grammy nominated I've done this 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 and I'm like wow, is this it? I mean, what is this about? And I felt like there was more to do. Mm-hmm. And it took me years to finally come in tune with maybe what it was that was missing. What was and it? And what was missing was the idea of all of these different experiences culminating in something that I could do that could motivate that kind of level of excellence on a consistent basis with other people to be that kind of motivator. I didn't know that at the time, but the kind of training that I have had, the kinds of experiences that I've had are somewhat unique in terms of the variety and at the level, at the especially at the pro level that, that it has been. And that information and the knowledge and the things that I was doing just because I wanted to be a participant on that level um, are the kinds of skills and skill set that if young people will embrace the work as part of the ethic of getting to the art um, it's unlimited in terms of what's possible and, and in terms of what to do so about 15 years ago um, I just had that moment where I felt like uh, I figured out why why I'm here what I'm supposed to do and what I'm supposed to do at this point in my journey is to use all of these profoundly amazing experiences that I've had, distill them into the, the kinds of information that has allowed for my ability to participate on that level and share it. Mm-hmm. And that's what I do now as a college professor and a lecturer, and I'm enjoying it. It's yes. Really, it's really super. So when you're going through what you create, the the types of music that you produce and the songs and you do it what is the feeling behind it once it's done if you're saying well there's more for me to do are you when you're finished with the project is there a feeling of accomplishment or is it a feeling of there's more Mm. I I think there is a feeling of accomplishment but that that doesn't supersede the feeling of being in the moment when it's happening. The, 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 the beautiful thing is the process and being open and allowing for that to take its particular shape. 
And at the end of that particular process, you can look at something in it. And especially if it if it makes other people happy, that for me is a big deal. Um, you know, I have a lot of fun yeah. doing, doing what. And <laughs> yes, so I already got <laughs> the gift was already for me to be able to do it at all. So I'm I'm kind of like, OK, on to the next thing. But to know that the possibility is that in that joyfulness, in that uh, surrender to whatever came out of that process, that it has the potential to resonate with somebody else. And to see that resonation is just really something that continues to be inspiring, even for me. So uh, that's why I feel like I always have stuff to do, because I can I can see how in trying to stay within my truth uh, other people can resonate with their own through through the music in my case absolutely and that's a very distinct thing to know about your art and who you are because a lot of people are like well I can for instance there was a story on NPR about how this, this family keeps adopting children and they have like over 20 kids wow. because they want to they want to help they want to help and when I was listening to that story, I was like, they are helping within who they are as human beings. And you are doing that with mm-hmm. what you do and how you mentor and how you teach. Mm-hmm. How do you go about finding that for yourself? Well, I think part of it is just the experience of having, I guess I could just call it that, experiential learning from the doing of the thing. You learn a lot. You learn what it is you don't know, what it is you need to know in order to get something done that is important to you. And the idea is to hopefully begin as you have more and more experiences to close the gap between what you want to imagine happening and actually taking action for that thing to happen. I don't think we're ever done with that. Um, It's something I'm working on every day. But I do know that uh, music has allowed me to explore a lot of things about um, uh, myself and certainly in my relationships with uh, fellow uh, musicians and and artists of, of all types, you know, dancers and writers and sculptors and painters. The thing that we have in common is a need to do what we do. It's 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 our why if you will it's it's why we're here it's something that we believe in so deeply that we would do it for no money we would do it just because there's something about the action of doing it that resonates with that thing in deep inside of us that is a part of our spirit so to have opportunities to put that feeling to the test by doing the work that hopefully opens the doors for many opportunities to touch on that creative spirit, that creative energy is uh, really important. And that's, that's really the message. It's the music is, is one aspect, but the most important thing is to find out what it is that makes you feel alive and valid and, and, and uh, valued and, uh, ready to take action on the things that are important to you so that you leave your little mark in the world, however big or however small. doesn't matter. The fact that you're here, there's something to do. And do you teach that to your students? That's what I try to teach to my students. Yeah. Um, and you had a mentor 
as well. Quincy Jones was your mentor, is that correct? Mm-hmm. One of many. One of many. One of many. Right. Yes. And and that's the thing in life is like we have many mentors exactly. that lift exactly. us up. You come into a space where you meet people, and I believe for a certain reason, um, and you may not realize it until years and years later sometimes. Um, Quincy Jones was one of the first people that really told me, um, he said there was two things that he said that really resonated with me um, when I was in a, uh, I was, in high school. We used to play a lot of jazz band competitions, uh, battle of the bands type of things. And he was an adjudicator a lot. He was one of the judges in, in a lot of these contests. And we did quite a few of them because we needed instruments and would, would, would buy stuff. And one day we had done a few of them and he had seen me and heard a couple of arrangements that I had done for this particular uh, jazz band. And he asked to see me. What? So he came and he sat down with me and he says, what do you want to do? And I said, oh, sir, I want to I, I want to write. That's what I wanted to do. I want to write for television and uh, films. And uh, I kind of want to do what what I see you do. And he said, wow. He says, well, you know, you're going to have to be really good. And I said, okay, I understand. I want to be really good. And I, I want when I, and he said, and the other thing is, and you want to learn as much as you can and be diverse and diversify in your abilities to spread yourself out musically to do different things. So I was only like 15 or 16 years old, so I, it didn't register the way it registers now. What he was trying to tell me then was that that dedication? It's a long, it's a long run. It's a, it's 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 a long a race. Commitment. It's a commitment and a commitment to excellence. And he knew, being a woman of color, and being female in a male-dominated industry, that there may be some areas that were going to really put to the test what he saw in a certain, I think, purity of spirit of really being serious about the music, but knowing that there were going to be these things that were going to test that. And, uh, you know, he just laid it on me at that time, and it just went right over my head until years and years later. And it's like, oh, that's what he was talking about. Because when he said, you, you want to be good, well, yeah, of course. Why wouldn't you not want to be good? But that's not what he was talking about. And uh, that stayed with me. That and the fact that don't be afraid to be versatile. If you have it like that, where you can feel comfortable in several different areas of your expression, in my case, music, then celebrate that and don't let at that time especially an industry that used to put you in categories define your musicianship now you were one of the first musical women musical directors for the grammy awards mm-hmm. I, can I was the first for the grammy first mm-hmm. Gram- how i i can see what he told you and how you transformed it could lead to that mm-hmm how was that experience? It was awesome. It was awesome. I had done um, some television as a, as a music director for uh, certain shows, which started actually with Robert Townsend in doing uh, five HBO specials after uh, the success of his movie, Hollywood Shuffle, his very first movie, which I scored also. And I was music director for that show, and the director for that show... Uh, saw me and asked me to do the Image Awards, NAACP Image Awards as music director. And I did that show for 13 years straight. From doing that show, the Emmys came, and People's Choice Awards, Comic Relief, 
and then the Grammys. And uh, so those are all the things that I really, really love to do the most. I love to play. I love to write. I love to organize the, 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 the production in terms of the way the music is going to enhance the show. And those are all those things in all those in a nice package for all of those uh, shows. And you definitely do that because you do vocals, piano, keyboard, flute, clarinet, percussion. I, you have more talent in your pinky than <laughs> I think most people do in their entire lifetime. How do you get that down into something that is elevated? Mm. Well, that's a really deep question. Um, I think that I don't think of them as being separate. I play better because I write. I write better because I play. I know the kinds of experiences that I've had, and I've paid attention to how I feel. And I can talk about my feelings and those line those up into uh, hopefully a a way of imparting that it's all one thing for example most people can relate to this they have a particular style of the way they like to dress however in their wardrobe they don't have all one color most people and they don't have all one thing you have on beautiful outfit today tomorrow you might wear shorts and a t-shirt and feel just as comfortable because it's you next day Perhaps you're going to have a business uh, meeting or something like that. And you need to, you know, okay, I'm going to do my thing on on this uh, business suit that I need to wear. Or I'm going to go out on stage and perform. I want to be colorful and I want to be comfortable and blah, 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 blah. All different outfits, but all you and all your way, uh, your interpretation, your your feeling on those different things. Well, I look at the music all these activities in the same way. They didn't happen all at once. I didn't do them all at the same time. But the idea is that um, the same energy that goes into uh, producing a record is very similar energy to what I use in teaching. You got to take big concepts, break it down into small, actionable bites, and empower other people to do their part. And when it's put together... You have a recording or you have a concept for a class. Um, your students learn and they go out and they try stuff. It's a very similar, very similar energy. So with all the people that you have worked with over all these years and all, all the magnificent things that you have done, what has been made the most impact in your life? Uh, the balance, the balancing act of having a professional life which is very active and demanding in terms of time and energy with a family which is very active and a balancing act I love of, your smile with that I love it <laughs> so I'm married I have two beautiful children I mean they're not really little anymore <laughs> but they're always your babies but they're always my always my babies and um, you know the idea of being able to use the the great joy and just you know happiness that comes out of trying to be my best self as an artist and using that information 
to also try to be a great wife and mom and you know all of that and you know what art from an artistic standpoint is it's, it's a lot it's a lot in common a lot in common parenting is an art form too oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> Deep negotiation skills. Hello. Hello. <laughs> and how do you take what you know and transfer it to them? So, but they then lead their own lives and without inhibiting their creative. Okay. You sound like a college professor right now. <laughs> Same thing. Right. 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 Mm-hmm. So how do you do that without inhibiting their creativity? Well, you find ways to help them discover certain kinds of things or make them think they're discovering certain right. kinds of things. <laughs> Um, and you give them room. Hopefully, you give them sort of the the game, the 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 ground rules and the boundaries, mm-hmm. of course. But you also allow for those moments where they make decisions, and there might be they might bump their head. It might be a mistake. It might be something, and then you allow them to do it, and you say, "Let's maybe we should look at that." And what do we do differently next time? Or what do you think? Blah, 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 blah. In other words, you know, there's a, a, a it is an art form. There's yes. a balancing act between when you just draw the line and say, nope, we're not doing that. Yeah, yeah. And, well, yep. okay, have you thought that through? <laughs> let's let's walk this through and make sure that, you know. Yeah. I had good teachers, though, with that. My mom was awesome at that. And uh, my sister, I have a younger sister, and uh, we both to this day, you know, talk about how mom would just work it, you know, and was very, very, very strong in her own ideas about how things should be, but very, very good at being able to um, see through see through the lenses of our eyes certain kinds of concepts and allow for us to come to certain things ourselves. Now, there, was, there were those moments where she says, you can't do that because I'm the mom and I said so. But there were other moments where she says, well... That's an option. Have you thought it through? Have you walked it through? Go ahead and do your thing. Oh. And I'll be here if it doesn't work out. Oh, we'll talk about that's it. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Before I let you go, Patrice, uh, can you let us know the work that you have done of all of the grand scheme of things? What stands out for you most as an accomplishment? Hmm. so hard um it's gonna sound kind of vague sort of because it is (laughs) but the accomplishment for me is in being able to look look back and and see all of the things that have happened and things that I've done only to propel me forward on those days and everyone has those moments where they feel like man uh, Am I stagnant? Am I learning anything? Am I doing anything? You know, what am I? What am I doing? All you gotta do is Are turn you around. To me? <laughs> <laughs> All you gotta do is stop for a moment and say, "A year ago, where was I? What did I not know? What did I know now? Five years ago, where was I? What did I know? What do I know now that I didn't know then?" If you give yourself an opportunity to be able to periodically examine how far you've come. Sometimes that energy right there can propel you on to the next level and just keep understanding and knowing that it's never finished. It's always something to do. 
you have truly inspired me through all of your work and just know that I'm the person that you have uplifted and oh, thank you. I really appreciate your time and your talent and thank you for sharing your life with everyone. Thank the world. you. Thank you so much. Ms. I'm, Patrice I'm having Russian. a great time. Oh yeah. Miss <laughs> Patrice Russian. Thank you so much. You're welcome. This is ESPN LA 710. ESPN LA 710.